taking your seats, I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles and open them up to Isaiah chapter 53. Well, this is a special day, and it's an important day on the life, in the life of the, a Christian, and as we consider the Christian calendar, there perhaps is no more meaningful weekend in all of the year than this weekend. And it is a joy for us to set aside some specific time to be saturated with the truth of the gospel, to remind ourselves of what we already, many of us, know and love and embrace, but to be encouraged by the truth. But it's interesting, the title of this day, isn't it? On October 29th, 1929, the day the stock markets crashed, millions of people lost everything. Their lives crumbled to pieces, and that day was given the title Black Tuesday. Who calls the day where the innocent Son of God gave His life, where He was unjustly murdered? Who calls that day Good Friday? By anyone's rational standards, it seems ludicrous. By the world's standards, it seems unthinkable, irreconcilable, unfathomable. It would make much more sense, wouldn't it, to call this day Bad Friday, or Dark Friday, or Horrific Friday. And yet we call it good. How can this be so? Well, The simple answer is that because in the most profound way, it is exactly that. It is good. Isaiah 53 is one of the greatest passages in all the Bible. It is, in one sense, the pinnacle of the Old Testament scriptures speaking, prophesying, predicting the coming of Jesus Christ and all that he must do and accomplish and the way in which it must be done. It speaks of what we call the suffering servant, what Scripture alludes to as the suffering servant. In all of human history, with all of the sin that pervades humanity, with all of the hopelessness and the despair, the problem that exists for all of humanity, the solution God designed is found in this one person and what He will do in the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. Isaiah writing 740 years before Jesus Christ would give his life, before this prophecy would come to fulfillment. And in Isaiah 53, I want to look this morning just by way of reflection and devotion at five horrifying truths that make this Friday good for you and me. First, I want you to note this, it is good that Jesus was shunned. Isaiah writes in verse 53, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he says in verse 1, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not." 
There was nothing particularly attractive about Jesus, nothing physically that would allow you to think for a moment that this was God in human flesh. He was not the kind of king that they were hoping for and that they expected. He didn't have the kingly appearance. He didn't act like a king, at least not in their minds. And so verse 3 reminds us that instead of being loved and embraced, of being honored and respected, look at what he was. He was despised and rejected by men. He was utterly shunned by humanity, by the ones he came to save. He was completely rejected and forsaken. He was abandoned and alone. One of the worst feelings in the world is to be utterly and completely alone. As a young child, I vividly remember having nightmares of being trapped in a maze, feeling utterly forsaken and alone, waking up in utter terror. He was shunned by men. And and here's why this is so good. Because if he were not shunned by men, if instead he was embraced, if instead he was honored as the King and Messiah, he was. If he was worshipped for the God he is, this would have definitively ended the divine rescue mission, if he was embraced by the multitudes, millions upon millions, think about this, upon millions, billions, trillions of people would be lost forever in eternity if he had not been shunned by men. And his greatest grief and sorrow comes not from being shunned by his enemies, not by being, from being abandoned by his friends, but listen, by being shunned by God himself. That, by the way, is the very essence of hell. It is an existence where you are God-forsaken, where you are utterly rejected, where you are shunned by God. On the cross... You remember Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We sing about how in that moment as Jesus hung on the cross, listen, that the Father turned his face away. Something that we cannot, listen, completely comprehend, but in the the divine, supernatural Trinity, the Godhead, somehow something was fractured because of what Jesus did on the cross so that the Son would feel utterly and totally forsaken by the one who loved him most. He was rejected that we might be accepted. That is why we call this Friday good. Secondly, it is good that Jesus suffered. It is good that Jesus suffered. Isaiah goes on to write in verse 4 through 6, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He carried our suffering and he bore the load of our pain. That's a literal translation of this passage. We see in here, listen, the physical suffering that Jesus Christ endured. The horror of death by crucifixion. The very word excruciating comes from two Latin words, excruciatus, or out of the cross. Crucifixion was the defining word for pain. It was a horrendous way to die, beaten, scourged, pierced upon a cross, publicly humiliated, legs shattered, drowning in your own fluids in your lungs. It took hours, days sometimes to die. And while we acknowledge that the physical pain that Jesus suffered that day almost 2,000 years ago, listen, the physical is nothing compared to the spiritual suffering he endured. He suffered in that moment as the clouds went dark. Listen, the very presence of God showed up and God judged Jesus Christ for the sins of the world. He unleashed a torrent, a flood of wrath upon Jesus Christ that humanity deserved. It was stored up like a dam ready to burst. And Jesus stepped in front of us and absorbed the full weight of God's wrath. With every blow to his face, with every snap of the whip, with every strike of the hammer, you need to hear what Isaiah says. Listen, it was our griefs, it was our sorrows, it was our transgressions, it was our iniquities that were being punished in him. Our sin brought brokenness and pain and death. His suffering provides healing and peace and life. He suffered hell so that we don't have to. That is why we call this Friday good. Third, it is good that Jesus was silent. Isaiah goes on to say in verse 7 that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet, notice this, he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. His innocence screams in the silence. He is deprived of justice. His life is taken by force, a mock trial set up with every intent on killing him. 
Isaiah paints for us a picture of the undeserving one taking what we deserve. The innocent one being treated as if he were guilty. And what's so staggering about this passage is that in that moment, Jesus Christ refused to defend himself. He refused to open his mouth. He refused to exact true justice. He suffers instead silently like a a lamb, like a sheep, like one that was brought forward to pay a sacrifice for the sins of humanity. And the silence needs to sit heavily upon us and we need to realize what this truly means. Do you remember when Jesus was confronted in the Garden of Eden? Excuse me, not Eden, Gethsemane. He was approached by probably hundreds of soldiers and they said, who is Jesus of Nazareth? And as he said the words, I am he, John 18, 6 tells us at the very word of Jesus declaring himself to be God, everybody fell back with a domino effect. When Peter tried to fight back and he cut off the ear of the servant Malchus, Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think, listen to this, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? He suffers silently like a sheep when he could have roared like a lion. He, the great judge, could have executed justice on the spot. One word from his lips could have knocked every one of his enemies back for good. One shout to the heavens would have called down legion upon legion, 10,000 upon 10,000 of angels to rush to his side and deliver him from any harm. In an instant he could have done that. And yet, he stays silent. And if he had not been silent, if he had done any one of those things, then we could not be saved. If he brought justice for himself, we would get the justice we deserve. In his silence, he was treated as if he were guilty so that we can be treated as if we are innocent. That is why we call this Friday good. Fourth, it is good that Jesus was submissive. Isaiah says in verse 10, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. It was the will of the Lord 
it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the divine plan of God the Father before the world began. He looked, he knew that humanity would fall to sin, and he created a plan, a perfect plan to save us. But it required the loving submission of the Son. He knew what it would cost him. He wasn't blind to the reality of the suffering he would face, of the sacrifice he would make. He knew the horror of facing the wrath of God. In the Garden of Eden, the Word of God tells us that Jesus drops to his knees and he begins to cry out to the Father as he agonizes over the pain of what is about to come, knowing what it will be like in a sense to experience this kind of separation from God the Father for him to turn his face on him. He begins to sweat great drops of blood, the immense pressure producing his capillaries bursting bleeding through his pores. He cries out to the Father, God, if there is any other way, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Let this cup pass. But instantly, knowing that that plea was not the Father's will, he turns and says, but not my will be done, but yours. What humility, what submission. God the Son takes the way of suffering, submitting himself to the plan of the Father. But have you considered what it would mean for us if Jesus said no? If he said, no, I will not submit to this plan. I cannot go along with it. The horror and the tragedy and the pain is too great. They are not deserving of being saved. They have all turned away. They have all gone their own way. They have chosen a path of rebellion. They have hated you. They are not worthy. And yet, out of love, for the Father and love for us, he willingly submitted to the Father's will. Without the submission of the Son, there would be no salvation for the sinner. That is why we call this Friday good. Lastly, it is good that Jesus is our substitute. Verse 12 reminds us, therefore, Excuse me, he's dropping down. He says this, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Without someone to stand in our place, we would be hopeless, we would be lost, and we would be eternally condemned. We would experience the justice of God. We would endure his great and mighty wrath. We would pay for our sins. But for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
By faith we believe that on the cross Jesus took our place. That he who knew no sin became sin for us. By faith we believe that he paid for our sin in full. He took our certificate of debt and he nailed it to the cross. And when he declared it is finished, it was finished for good. By faith we believe there is no other way. There could have been no other way. Only Jesus Christ giving his life, standing in our place. Do you believe? You can today. And for you, if you are right now dead in your sins, if you turn to Jesus Christ, if you look upon him, the Lamb of God who stood in your place, who paid for your sins, who absorbed the full measure of the wrath of God, can give you life then for you, the horror of this day can become, for you, not only Good Friday, it can become the greatest Friday of your life. We call this day good because this Jesus was shunned. He suffered. He was silent and he was submissive all so that he could be our substitute. Today, we celebrate the one who died that we might live.